Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. Everybody had their coffee. Um, I went basic this morning and had some pumpkin spice creamer. Anyone started pumpkin spice anywhere? Yeah. That's right. Uh, so we're, uh, we're excited. But we're going to be talking about this morning another issue that uh, Paul is having to talk to the people in Corinth about in the Corinthian church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And um, a quick story here. So a lot of times, um, has anyone ever done something knowing that someone else was watching them? And maybe you wanted to either impress them or you were just doing something. You're like, oh, yeah, they're watching. Maybe you had a crush back in the day. Um, don't mention them if they're not your husband or wife right now. But uh, you had a crush back in the day that you would do something, act up for, because you knew they were always watching you. So uh, back then, we had a football team at my high school, and I did not play football. I was uh, kind of scrawny, and they'd probably break the bones in my body um, if I played. And so my mom was like, yeah, you can play basketball. Just don't step on the field and play football. So I was like, all right, deal. So I decided, well, I want to travel with the football team. What do I have to do to travel? You know, you get to leave class early, go take the bus, travel, come back late. And so they're like, uh, one time the coach came up. He's like, hey, CJ, you want to be the equipment manager? I was like, Sure, what do I got to do? And they're like, well, we have another equipment manager. She gets all this stuff organized and all that. And you just make sure, uh, you know, you throw all the jerseys in a bin, take them home, wash them, all this stuff. I'm like, okay, and that's what it takes to travel with the team. So I travel with the team to all the away games and all that stuff and, uh, and wash the jerseys and the funny thing was, uh, most of the time, whoever washed them before, usually it was the school or whatever, they didn't add any fabric softener or anything. And my mom is all about fabric softener. So I would toss the jerseys in the washer, and then, you know, they'd be, uh, I'd put them out for the guys, and they'd put them on, like, man, why are our jerseys smell so good? I'm like, oh, that's a lavender with a hint of mint. That's downy. Or someone else, wow, what is that? Oh, that's citrus blend. It's my new mom's uh, favorite uh, downy blend right now. So I'd wash the jerseys and everything. But the funniest part was every time we'd go to away games, I didn't necessarily want people to know I was the equipment manager, like the opposite you know, team and their fans. So I'd just pick a random jersey that no one else had, and I'd throw it on. And at times, I would even pretend I was a football player and I was just injured. So, like, I'd put on the jersey, like, all right, go team. I was usually, like, the ball boy where, like, the ref would be like, hey, throw me a ball. And then I'd be like, ah, do a little, like, hobble once in a while. Oh, you know, sorry, I'm injured because, you know, the opposing team, uh, the crowd, sometimes the girls would be like, oh, yay, football players. So, like, yeah, you know, I'm the star running back, but I got a torn ACL, so I'm just kind of nursing that right now. And so I would literally pretend that I was a football player on the team because I know people were watching me and like, oh yeah, we'd win. Like, yeah, go team. You know, yeah, we're all about that. And, and everyone who's watching, I had no idea. I was the equipment manager. And then I'd come home, take the jerseys home, wash them, and a nice fresh scent of downy uh, to go along with it. And uh, it reminds me a lot of this current situation here in the Corinthian church because the people come up to Paul and they once again have another issue. And the issue for today that they're dealing with is food, is food, specifically meat. And so they're asking Paul, uh, what should we do here um, in these certain situations? So 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm going to read, and we're going to break it down uh, little by little. This is going to be in the message version. I really liked uh, 
how it was um, translated here. And uh, follow along with me. If not, it will be up on the screen as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, The question keeps coming up regarding meat that has been offered up to an idol. Should you attend meals where such meat is served or not? We sometimes tend to think we know all we need to know to answer these kind of questions, but sometimes our humble hearts, humble hearts can help us more than our proud minds. We never really know enough until we recognize that God alone knows it all. And I love how this is uh, kind of uh, shown here. We're going to dive into what that means. So here's the current problem. Here's the current situation, the issue that people are having. So they go up to Paul. They're like, hey, Paul, we have a problem. Should we eat meat that is offered up to idols? Should we eat meat that's offered up to idols? And um, I want to give you some context because a lot of times uh, we need to see the before and the after before we really dive into a story. A lot of times people spout scripture out of context and all that stuff. So I want to really give a background here as to what um, he's talking about. So back then, here's what would happen. So pagan temples would offer animals, uh, parts of animals, and sacrifice to other gods, right? And so then a lot of these same temples back then were also butcher shops, banquet halls, restaurants, okay? So it wasn't your typical, you know, you go to um, Longhorn Steakhouse. A lot of times that was a pagan temple as well. You already got the meat there, why not, right? So a lot of the same places, the same temples will be butcher shops. A lot of these meals were for clubs, private dinner parties, etc. So then the meat from the temples was then sold at the marketplace. So the meat, every time the meat was brought to the pagan temple, would be divided into three parts. One part would go to the pagan god you were offering, right? The second part would go to the worshiper. And then the third part would go to the priest, and most of the time, the priest would end up selling his portion of the meat to the marketplace, and uh, it usually would be on sale. Who doesn't love a good bargain? Right? Who loves garage sales? I, I make a motto. I always tell myself, never buy something at full price. Whatever, whatever it is, I always try. I don't even care if I get cash back after I buy something. Like, okay. It literally ends up being cheaper if I'm getting cash back. So a lot of people going around, especially these Christians, were like, who doesn't love a good sale? I'm going to buy this discounted meat. Uh, I love what it says here um, in verses 1 through 3. It says, sometimes our humble hearts can help us more than our proud minds. Isn't that interesting? Our humble hearts. What if we approached situations or questions that people came up and asked us, instead of blasting off some word vomit trying to prove that we're super smart to people, we took a step back, paused, and thought, how can my humble heart help me more than my proud mind? You ever thought about that? When someone asks you, oh, you know, I have this question about the Bible where it's saying this, <clears throat> let me get into my accent here and uh, deliver these words of wisdom that I've so imparted upon myself. And you start speaking King James. You start saying weird words like half and thou and lest that you don't use every single day. I beseech you, brethren. But instead we say, how can my humble heart help more than my proud mind? Anyone growing up ever play a game called Around the World in school where you'd start out at one desk and then you have to go around and it taught you multiplication or division or addition. You know, you're growing up. So you start out at one desk and you try to say as fast as you can. Okay, here's the flashcard. Eight times three, 24. Okay, and you get to move around. And if you get back to your desk, then you win. 
And a lot of times, I think that's how we are as believers, is a lot of times we just want to sound as smart as possible to people, when instead, we should be saying, how can my humble heart make a difference instead of my knowledge that I have? And that essentially is what this scripture is about. And it goes on to say, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The difference here is one building up something strong. Love builds up something strong, a relationship between two people. Or you're building up someone's faith through love. You're helping them walk through this thing we call life. Helping them to walk more like Jesus did. While knowledge, a lot of times, if we're not careful, can just make you puffy, swollen, gassy, right? It it so reminds me, uh, when we were in um, college, we went on this this kind of uh, thing of just getting super fit and big, and we wanted to take everything possible to just look great. So we're in college and we're taking protein and eating extra carbs and uh, taking creatine, all this stuff. But all that made us do was just look really swollen, puffy. And how many of you guys know have taken protein before? Gassy. Just a swollen. And then once you get off the creatine, you just deflate again because it's just putting water in your muscles. And a lot of times that's how we are is we walk around as just these kind of puffy Christians, if we're not careful, because of all the knowledge we have. But instead, Paul is saying, no, love is the answer. Love builds us up. Do you want to be a puffy, swollen Christian with a big head saying, I know everything, I've studied everything? Now, I'm not saying knowledge is wrong. I'm not saying that we don't. We need to know what we're talking about when we talk to people about God. We need to know what we're talking about when we say, hey, this is who Jesus was. This is what he did. This is how he lived. This is how he walked. This is what he uh, told us to do. These are the commands that were given to us. We need to know all that. But if we're not careful, instead of using that knowledge to help us and live it out, as the Bible says, faith without works is dead, instead of taking that knowledge And using it, we instead go, oh, let me see how I can sound smarter to other people. And so the whole book of Corinthians, I feel like I've done a whole roundabout from when I preached a while ago at the beginning of Corinthians with the leaders. And that Paul is just saying, hey, this is all about love. The only knowledge that really is important is the knowledge that we know God and that God knows us. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you feel super insignificant. You feel like nobody sees you. You feel like you're just a nobody, that no one acknowledges you, nobody cares about you. And I want you to know this morning that God knows you and God sees you. So you may come around and go, oh man, no one no one knows me, no one cares about me. I just feel like I'm a nobody. I'm not cool. I, I just, any of this stuff. You could be little, you can be grown up. It doesn't matter. But if you're feeling insignificant this morning, know for a fact that the creator of the universe knows you. And that's a great knowledge to know is that God knows us. We are his children. Maybe some of you didn't grow up with fathers or maybe some of you had bad relationship with your fathers. God is still your father and he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And what a great knowledge to know there. So they're going around, they're still asking Paul these questions. Well, can we eat meat from the market? It's been offered up to idols. 
Can we eat at the pagan temple as a guest if someone invites us? Hey, can we go out to Longhorn Steakhouse and grab a nice ribeye? Yeah, well, I don't know. It's the pagan temple. Are we allowed to do that? Or maybe can we eat at someone's house knowing they got that meat from Longhorn Pagan Temple, across butcher shop across the street? Are we allowed to do that? So they're asking Paul, like, what are we supposed to do here? Well, the leaders, they, the Christians, they go on to tell um, Paul, they're like, well, Paul, you know, it's offered up to idols, but if you think about it, idols don't really exist. God created it all. God created this meat. God created everything. And, and, I, and, and these gods, they don't really exist. These fake gods. We can have idols in our life, yes, but these fake gods, they don't exist. So why not eat the meat? Haters going to hate. You ever heard that term before? Haters going to hate. Hey, psh, people are watching us eat this meat. Haters going to hate. Yeah, I like this meat. Yeah, it was offered up to pagan gods. Yeah, I like a good T-bone steak. Haters going to hate. I'm going to eat this meat. I don't care because I know for a fact that these gods aren't real. And that's literally what they're telling Paul. They're like, who cares? What's, what, what could go wrong? We're just eating this meat over here. And then Paul says, I agree, but knowing isn't everything. Let's go back to chapter 8, verse 4. It says, some people say quite rightly, as I was just mentioning, that idols have no actual existence, that there's nothing to them, that there is no God other than our one God. Paul's saying, okay, I believe that, right? That no matter how many of these so-called gods are named in worship, they still don't add up to anything but a tall story. They say again, quite rightly, that there is only one God, the Father, that everything comes from him and that he wants us to live for him. Also, they say that there is only one master, Jesus, the Messiah, and that everything is for his sake, including us. Yes, it's true. Verse 7, in strict logic then, nothing happened to the meat when it was offered up to an idol. It's just like any other meat. I know that, and you know that. But knowing isn't everything. Knowledge isn't everything. If it becomes everything... Some people end up as know-it-alls who treat others as know-nothings. Real knowledge is not that insensitive. I love Eugene Peterson here in the message because it's making it so clear kind of what's happening, what's going on, and the fact that Paul's like, yeah, I agree, but knowing isn't everything. Know-it-alls versus know-nothings. There's no greater and less of a believer based on this. See, sometimes as Christians, we can have this idea, can't we, that we can be the spiritually elite, that there's a higher Christian and a lower Christian, right? And once again, it goes back to knowledge. What is, I am an elite Christian. I read the Bible through the Bible app every year. I read through the whole Bible once a year. How many times do you read the Bible I know every Greek and Hebrew word. I read commentaries night and day. I am an elite Christian. But then those lower Christians, they're not on my level. So I need to teach them what I know because I'm up here and they're down here. That's a lot of times how we think. And we may chuckle about that, but the reality is a lot of that's true. We've looked at people before and said, <laughs> At least I'm not doing what they're doing. 
At least I'm not doing that sort of thing. At least I've been to church more than once a month. I come every single Sunday. I'm definitely an elite believer. And that's the enemy that puts things in our heads saying, hey, you're so smart, you're definitely higher up than that person. You look at that person from a distance. You see that person from a distance because you are on a different level that they are. And yes, there are stronger believers and there are weaker believers and there are newer believers But that doesn't mean that we're not all the same in God's eyes. There are no spiritually elite, and they're not down here the the newer believers where, oh no, I need to to teach them my ways of how I am so spiritually elite. That sounds a lot like somebody in the Bible, doesn't it? They were called the Pharisees. We used to learn a song back in the day in kids' church. I don't want to be a Pharisee because they're not fair, you see. I know. That was my dad joke of the sermon. I got to have at least one every single time for all the dads out there. Teach it to your kids. So they go on and and, and Paul's like, know-it-alls versus know-nothings. You're not a spiritually elite person. There are not weaker know-nothings. Paul says, knowledge like this cannot be that insensitive. Uh, I was listening to a sermon by Robert Madu, a great pastor out in Texas. He used to be an evangelist and he planted a church and he was talking about how a lot of times religious people or the spiritually elite, they like to use a lot of times a pair of binoculars so they can see from a distance what others are doing, but they still stay far enough away where the others can't see the sin going on in their heart. So outward appearance may look great, but how many of you guys know that God looks at the heart? So from a distance, we may look spiritually elite, but then inside our heart, God is saying, Ugh, that's looking pretty ugly in there. You should probably work on that. They may be doing stuff that you can see from the outside, but the pride inside of you is looking really ugly. And there's stories upon stories in the Bible where Jesus, with, when he approaches a sinner, he doesn't just say, hey, let's hang out. Hey, let's eat dinner together. Hey, let's have this time together. Hey, let's hang out. He also says, go and sin no more or change your life. But he does it in such a loving way. It's just like, wow. But then Jesus approaches the religious leaders. You brood of vipers. Yikes. And the way he approaches those religious leaders a lot of times is like, you guys think that a lot of times you're just so good and you're up here, but you're not. And we as believers have to be careful that we don't get into that same tone, that we don't become that person. So we just don't need to know that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. But secondly, we need to know that being right is never more important than showing love. When it comes to the family of God, being right is never more important than showing love. We have to be careful. We don't give people with less knowledge an idea about us that can change their minds. Paul says the weaker or newer believers from Corinth back then that converted didn't have the knowledge of things that some others did. So their idea of eating in the temple was in the past. So Paul is telling them, okay, the Corinthians that have converted, they're now Christians and they're believers, but they're still newer Christians. That doesn't mean they're lower on the totem pole or weaker, but what it means is that they don't know as much. They've just become a believer. They've just become a Christian, and you don't know their past life was so full in those pagan temples. It was all dwelt within there. 
So what would a normal Corinthian do? Well, they'd go to the pagan temple. They'd have a great time, eat some steak offered to idols. They didn't care, whatever. Maybe afterwards they'd go and find a prostitute that was outside of the temple. That was, that was the normal. And Paul is saying, it may be okay for you to eat this meat because you're like, idols don't exist. But back then, the people who were just recently converted, were, maybe they would walk by the temple and go, eh, I don't know if I could do that anymore. That was my past life. Maybe the smell of a seared T-bone steak would be coming around. They'd be like, oh, that smell, that reminds me of what I used to be. I can't do that anymore. Maybe they'd be walking by and see, oh, hey, that's, that's Jimmy and Sandy over there, right? Did, weren't they, were, they're believers, but, but they're in the temple that we used to be at eating food or they went to Tony's house and they're eating the food that Tony prepared, but I saw him buy it at the market the other day. What's going on here? And so Paul is literally telling them like, hey, you may know, you may have the knowledge, but they don't. That's bringing back the days they used to have back in the day where they used to offer uh, meat to the pagan gods and worship them and do other things that just we're not godly. And Paul is reminding them that, listen, even the smell of meat could bring them back to those times. Most people stumble on some issues of today, right? If we we're going to bring this around to today, entertainment, music, movies, could be drinking, could be TV, could be gambling, all these. Now, don't get me wrong. There are absolutes in the Bible. But I, I'm not necessarily going to stand up here and say, this is right, this is wrong, this is right. You can talk to God about that. But some of us may have issues with one thing where others may not. And it doesn't say specifically in the Bible, but some things may cause others to stumble and some may not. What would be an example of that? Maybe you're out at a restaurant and you say, hey, you know, I, I want to have a nice glass of wine, but maybe someone else who struggled with alcoholism, you probably don't want to invite them out for a glass of wine. Or maybe, hey, let's go check out this movie, come out to my house, and maybe someone struggled with some of the things in that movie, but you're saying, hey, what does it matter? We're all, we're all free, and this doesn't affect me, but we don't know it could affect someone else. So we want to be sure and certain that what we do may be okay to do, and our conscience and the Holy Spirit may be saying, yes, you could do that. I know your heart. I know this isn't an issue for you but it may be an issue for someone else. And that's what Paul is saying here is he's like, hey, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you don't necessarily think it's bad, but someone who sees you may think differently. Sometimes, if you think about it, we do judge on what people eat on occasion, even in today's age, don't we? Where someone's eating something like, boy, do they know how much gluten is in that? My gosh, it's destroying them. Are you really eating that burger from Burger King right now? What is that doing to you? Are you not eating only this type of fruit and vegetable? What is going on? And we chuckle, but, you know, sometimes we really do do that. We judge what people eat, what people drink, all that sort of thing. But if we're to bring it back to today, it's all about the heart. And so Paul goes on to say, hey, listen... Either way, you eat or don't, God doesn't care necessarily, but he does care if you cause someone else to stumble or go back to what they did 
before. Here's what it says in verse 11. As we continue, it says that Christ gave up his life for that person. Wouldn't you at least be willing to give up going to dinner for him? Because as you say, it doesn't really make any difference, but it does make a difference if you hurt your friend terribly, risking his eternal ruin. When you hurt your friend, you hurt Christ. A free meal here and there isn't worth it at the cost of even one of these weak ones. So never go to these idle-tainted meals if there's any chance it will trip you up or one of your brothers or sisters. So if someone's struggling over that issue, he says, hey, don't partake in it. It could have taken years for this person to come to know Jesus or accept him. Do you know people like that? Or maybe you are one of those people where it took you a long time to really get serious about following Jesus. Here and there, you're like, yes, I believe in him. But then it took you a while and your friend was praying for you. Your friend invited you to church, any of that sort of thing. But to mess it all up over one little thing, that's what Paul's saying. He's like, is it worth someone going back to what they used to be in the temples, doing and seeing and eating and everything? Is it worth that over a steak? That's what he's saying. Is it worth that over a steak? Take it home with you. Cook it on your grill. Have a great old time. But if someone sees you at the temple and you know they're going to see you, don't do it. It's not worth it. It's sending them back to destruction. It's sending them back to the olden days of what they used to be, who they used to be. But the Corinthians, they converted. They're like, yes, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a believer. I don't know what all that means, but what I do know is I can't go back to what I used to be. And Paul is saying, you're not necessarily not just hurting them if you send them back. You're hurting Christ. So that entail is sin. So the sin isn't necessarily, hey, you eat a piece of steak offered to Zeus or whatever. Hey, Zeus isn't real. Whatever. Enjoy your steak, baked potato, all the good stuff. But he's saying, but if you're going to the marketplace and someone's like, you're really going to buy that meat? Paul's saying, don't do it. It's not worth it over a steak. Don't be in the temple. Don't be buying it. If it causes your brother or sister to stumble, don't do it. And what does it come down to? It comes down to love, your heart. Once again, we're called here to serve others before ourselves, where we do that unselfish act where we go, hey, listen, I know it might be good for me to do, but I'm going to care more about what I want. I'm going to care more about what others want instead. And that's, that's a lot of the Bible, isn't it? Of not being selfish, serving others, where Jesus gives the prime example before he goes to the cross and he serves by washing the disciples' feet. He sets that precedent. He sets that example for us to follow. Serve others. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. Think about others. So as much as we want to say as Christians, <laughs> brush the haters off. I do what I want to do. You can't say anything. You can't do anything because I'm free in Christ. And I don't really care what you think. That's not really biblical. As much knowledge as we have, it's still not Biblical. We can't say, we know, we know it's not, it's not wrong. We can do it. And that's all that Paul is saying here. You know what a popular phrase is for today? The old theologian Tupac said, only God can judge me. 
Tupac was an old rapper. Nobody knew. But only God can judge me is a popular phrase. And it just may be true to an extent. But guess what? We're also going to be judged on how we treat others. And so if you take that out of context, and a lot of people use Matthew 7 and some others where it's, oh, no, 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 don't judge lest you be judged. So you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. Well, we have to look at the context once again. A lot of times we have to be careful. We spout out. We know just enough to be dangerous. So we spout out stuff thinking people, oh, you're smart. You must go to church. But we have to be so careful when we spout out scripture that's in the right context, that we've done the study, that we know what it means. And so only God can judge me may be a popular phrase, but we're going to be judged on how we treat others. And this is a prime example of that. In Galatians 2, Paul rebukes Peter because the Jews said that they were stumbling. So the Jewish people, they look at the Gentiles and they start sitting apart in the cafeteria. Oh, you're a Jew? You can come over here. You're a Gentile? Mm, No, you got to go over there. And Paul comes up and he actually rebukes Peter. I preached on that a while ago. Paul would have responded with something like this. (laughs) You're not falling You're not sinning. You know what's being affected here? Your legalism. You're not stumbling. Because the Jews are like, Paul, what's going on here? We don't know what's happening. We're getting affected. And I don't know if you know you guys, if you guys know Paul very well, but I would encourage you to read the Bible because Paul actually rather enjoyed offending legalism. He really enjoyed it. He loved that because he knew that it wasn't about being legalistic. But we were free in Christ. And so it was so great that Paul had to tell Peter once again, like, no, you're not, you're not, Jew, the, the Jews here, you're not stumbling, your legalism's just being affected. And what we get if we keep this attitude of being uh, where we might know it all, but where uh, we're not knowing what other people are thinking or looking at, is uh, this theologian uh, by the last name of Clark, he puts it, into this perspective, he says, sometimes we have to be careful or we attain what's called, what's called sour godliness. Sour godliness. You guys see that Sour Patch Kids commercial? First they're sour, then they're sweet. They do something crazy and they're like, mm, and then they come and give you a hug as they slashed your tire or something, right? And so a lot of times we have to be careful. If not, we can become sour Christians. What does that look like? It looks like it's leaving a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. I just talked about this with the, um, with the students on Wednesday. We talked about um, being the salt of the earth. And a lot of times when we lose our seasoning and we look different than what the world has to offer, what the world looks like, we lose our, our seasoning. We're no longer able to provide a good taste in people's mouths. And how many of you guys know today that Christians already leave a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, don't they? And the problem with that is a lot of times it's not the people that know they're broken that come to church. It's the spiritually elite that give people that bad taste in their mouths. And then people never show up in church because they're like, "Uh, I don't know if I want to go to that church. I I feel talked down to or um, everybody's judging me right there. or I don't really know what. And the spiritually elite, the people with all the knowledge, the people that are swollen are the ones doing it. And so Paul makes this so strict and clear here 
That's not necessarily, if he's thinking nowadays, like, uh, we don't really have temples or we have literal butcher shops and restaurants or all that. But if you look at the primary root of what we're seeing here is we're seeing a lot of times we have to be careful because we can be sour Christians. You know what doesn't leave a taste in people's mouths a lot of times is love. Knowledge, sour godliness can leave a bad taste in people's mouths, but rarely does love leave a bad taste in people's mouths. Never has anyone left the church going, my gosh, I can't go back there anymore. Those people love me way too much. They treat me too nice. Everybody talked to me, asked how I was doing. I can't go there anymore. They're just so accepting of me. Man, rarely do you hear that happen, right? Why? Love. Love. And so Paul concludes this with saying, our allegiance here is to Jesus. Our allegiance, when all is said is done, is not what you know, is not what you eat, it's not where you buy it, it's not who it was offered to, it's not what you think is right, it's not what you think is not right. All this comes down to one final thing, is the allegiance to Jesus. Primarily, who are we? We are followers of Jesus. That'll preach, right? So many things going on in this world today. But we have to remember, there's not different levels where we're like, oh, follower of Jesus, I think I'll put that in maybe fourth from the top. Follower of Jesus, uh, I don't want him to have my whole life, so I'll just, I'll tuck him over here. I'm still a believer, but I'll just tuck him down here. No, our primary allegiance is to Jesus. That beats being in the USA. That beats who we're loyal to. That beats everything. Primary allegiance is Jesus. And we have to remember that. Right? We have to remember that because a lot of times things will kind of cut in front of us and go, well, what are people seeing when they first see us? What are people seeing when they first see our social media? What are people seeing when they first say hi to us? Do they know primarily that our allegiance is to Jesus first and foremost? If not, we have to fix that. Who knew Paul would still be relevant today, right? The Bible's definitely relevant today. If they did a ton of movies on this, there's war, there's romance, there's a bunch of killing, if you like that type of stuff in movies, a bunch of action. The Bible's still relevant for today. My third point for today and final point is everything we do has to be looked through the light of love. How many of you guys remember those, uh, those camera, the flip cameras that you'd have to look into the sun or into a light and then you could see the different pictures? And then you'd flip them, the next picture, you'd flip them, and then it came with those discs that had the little film in them. Now, what was the only way you could see the picture in there? Had to be up at the light, right? It had to be up at the light or up at the sun or up during the day. You had to have some sort of light to be able to see that picture. You could not see that picture in darkness. That was way back in the day. They probably still sell them on Amazon right now. Pick one up as a reminder if you want. 
But that's exactly what that reminded me of, is looking through the lens of love. Looking through the lens of love. The light of love. Because as believers, we are not called to run away from the darkness of this world. We're not called to be scared and run away. Oh, the, the bad things of the world are happening. Let's run. No, God says, you be the light going towards the darkness. And so that's what we're supposed to be doing. And so I encourage you, look through the light of love. So as you, as you look through and you see that camera flipper, what does God have for me? Look through the light of love. Don't look through the light of knowledge. You just end up becoming a sour Christian. Nobody wants that. But if you take that flipper and you say, hey, every picture I see, everything God has for me, everything I need to do or say or speak or go, look through the light of love. And that is what Paul is saying here. And so as we close and have the band members start to make their way to the stage, we want to remind you today with every head bowed and every eye closed as we close out this morning, I want to set a reminder to remember that first off, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And maybe you're sitting in here this morning and you're going, I don't want to be a puffy Christian. I don't want to have a big head because of everything that I know. Yes, I like learning and yes, I like studying, but maybe you just need to say, God, help me to make sure I'm not that person that everything in my life is based on things that I've accomplished instead of things that Jesus has accomplished in my life. We haven't earned anything. There's a free gift given by God sending his son to die on the cross for our sin. Jesus paid the price for it. We did not earn it. Everything we did, nothing, nothing can be said of that. So we can't brag. It says in the Bible, we can't brag about anything we've done. The only thing we can brag about is what he's done. And so maybe today you're sitting here going, man, I am just, I love knowledge, but sometimes I can come off as one of those sour Christians. God, help me not to do that. Help me not to come across as that. Lord, I'm sorry for if I've done that in the past where I've, I've put myself up on this pedestal of being a spiritually elite believer. God, I pray that if I'm going to compare myself, that I compare myself to God, to Jesus, and work on that, not to compare myself with others. Let's remember that love builds up. Let's remember that being right is never more important than showing God's love. As much as we want to talk to people, as much as we want to argue, as much as we want, let's always remember being right is never more important than showing God's love, whatever that may look like. Maybe you're sitting here today, you're going, God, help me with that. Help me with that. A lot of times I just want to win every single argument. I just want to be right all the time. And maybe you are right all the time. But when you're talking with someone, especially those maybe that don't understand fully what the gospel means, or for those who aren't even believers, God, help me to show love. And third and finally, maybe you're sitting here today and you need to have a conversation with God to look through the light of love in all that we do. Maybe we're looking through knowledge and it's a little fuzzy and oh, we just can't make out what God is trying to tell us. But maybe that's because we're not looking through the light of love.
And maybe today you need to have a conversation with God and go, listen, God, I need your help to show more love. I'm just this sour person who wants to know everything and argue everything. And today, God, just help me to show more love. And I always want to conclude with this. Maybe someone's sitting in here today and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus before in your life. You've said, I don't know who this God is, but, you know, I know I'm missing something in my life. I've never made a decision to follow Jesus before in my life, but today... I'd like to do that. And we're going to have people at the end of service here that are going to be down at the front and they're going to be able to pray for you. Maybe you just need prayer in general. Maybe you have a need after service. We'll have our prayer team down here. But maybe today you're saying, you know what? I don't want to make a decision to follow Jesus for the very first time in my life. And if that's you... I encourage you, after service today, come and talk to someone. Pray with someone. They will walk you through what it means to have a start to a relationship with Jesus, the one who died on the cross for our sin, so that we could live with God forever, one day in heaven. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for what it means. Lord, I know none of us are perfect in here. It says in your word, and we fall and we stumble time after time after time. God, I pray that this would be a wake-up call for us, that someone could be always watching us, watching what we're doing, what we're saying, what we're posting. And God, I pray that you would help us not be the reason someone doesn't like church, that you'd help us not be the reason that someone doesn't want to become a believer, have a relationship with Jesus, God. I pray that you would help us to always be loving, always be caring, always care more about love than knowledge. We thank you so much for this story and what it means. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.